Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes and leave comments and reviews. The show is also on Facebook, Twitter, Google Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. The website for the show is theactorsroom.libsyn.com. The site gives you access to all past episodes. Enjoy the show. presenting the first in a series of stories of suspense and mystery called, oddly enough, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I shall not act in these stories, but will only make appearances, something in the nature of an accessory before and after the fact. To give the title to those of you who can't read, and to tidy up afterwards for those who don't understand the endings. Tonight's playlet is really a sweet little story. It is called Revenge. It will follow... Oh dear, I see the actors won't be ready for another 60 seconds. However, thanks to our sponsor's remarkable foresight, we have a message that will fit in here nicely. Oh, it's almost Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Um, I really love this time of year. As I mentioned before, uh, just the weather here in Cleveland has been... You can't beat it. It's been absolutely fantastic. I went to a clam bake yesterday. My dad put on a clam bake. One of my most favorite things to do this time of year. Had some clams and some chicken. We did, uh, what was that, uh, crab legs, corn, potatoes. We just stuffed our faces, enjoyed the day. It was a fantastic day. The weather was perfect. It was like 65, 70 degrees most of the day. Sunshine, a little bit of a breeze. And it is that time of year to start talking about horror movies. And that just because this time of year is the right time to watch them. It's always a good time to watch a horror movie. But I got to say, this time of year, you just want to watch them even more. For those who enjoy watching them any time of year, this is just the feeling is right to every night put in another horror movie to enjoy. And it's just been a great fall right here in Cleveland. I don't know what it's like for everybody else. I'm not quite understanding that, uh, you know, there are people possibly listening to this episode, this podcast that live in a different country. And I don't know. I mean, do you guys have a different season right now? Because on our side of the world, we have fall and uh, the leaves have changed. I live in Ohio. So in the Midwest, we really do experience all of the seasons. And although people will say it just gets too cold and you have to deal with the snow, and we do. It gets, uh, like a couple of years ago, we had about two weeks of negative 20 to 30 degree weather. And it was so bad they closed schools down uh, because they were afraid kids would get uh, frostbitten, things like that. But our part of the country, our part of the world, we really do experience, excuse me, we really do experience all the seasons. 
fall is my favorite. The transition from summer to winter, uh, it just doesn't seem like it lasts very long. It doesn't last long enough for me. Um, the whole uh, Halloween thing, uh, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, the weather is just 70s with some light wind. Uh, the leaves fall from the trees, and you get that orange, red, and yellow color in summer brown. That's okay. Uh, the crispness in the air is wonderful. Uh, I have a ton of trees in my yard, uh, and it's really funny because the last house I lived in, we had zero trees. And now we have like over 20 trees in our yard. So needless to say, I spend a lot of time breaking leaves, blowing leaves, things like that. Uh, creating big piles of leaves for my kids to jump in, which they enjoy. Uh, so, you know, it's it's fun and it's a lot of work. Uh, I live in a city called Strongsville and they allow us to uh, rake our leaves all the way up to the tree lawn so we don't have to bag them, which is a lot of work. So we just push them all to the end of our yard. And then during the day, there are trucks that come by and just suck it all up. It's pretty cool. And it saves us a lot of work. And, uh, you know, living in a home and being a homeowner is, uh, is good. It's great uh, to be able to own your own home. But with it comes a lot of things like breaking the leaves. And, and anything that breaks down in the house, you're responsible for. Uh, and although it may cost some money it, in a way, I'm learning. I'm learning how to do things on my own, uh, fix things with my hands, which is something I was not able to do when I was a kid. My dad was great at fixing things, and I just didn't have that skill. But as you get older and mature, I find myself having to do it instead of just watching my dad do it and going, oh, yeah, you're doing a great job, dad. You don't need me. Yeah, you're doing fine. I actually have to do it now. So I'm actually learning how to like fix toilets and uh, install things and fix other things, although I'm very iffy on doing electrical work. I'm, if there's something wrong with electrical, I don't touch it because I did try the one time and I got zapped. So I will never do that again. Plus, what if I did something wrong with the wires or something? You know, God forbid I switched up some wires and and then that, my house burns down. I wouldn't even want to mess with that. So I just leave that to the professionals. Um, okay, getting off topic there. Sorry. I do that, but we're going to go ahead and redirect ourselves. We are in the midst of fall and happy Halloween. And for that reason, I went ahead and decided to do something based on this wonderful holiday. I don't know if it's wonderful, but it's it's intriguing. And it's a fun holiday. I decided to do a Halloween show this week. And uh, I thought discussing and highlighting Alfred Hitchcock would be perfect. His influence on the horror genre and his most famous film, Psycho. Most consider Psycho to be the greatest horror film of all time. And I watched it for the first time when I was a young kid. Um, and you got to understand that my mom was a very big Alfred Hitchcock fan. So I was exposed to his, his films and his show as well. And uh, if you remember, Alfred Hitchcock had a show called Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And that was really popular in the 50s and 60s. Uh, the show was on television from 1955 to 1961 here in the States. My mom says that she was an avid and devoted follower of the show Without a doubt, her very favorite. So she was excited to have us, uh, me and my brother, watch Psycho for the first time when we were kids. She would, I remember that night too. She, it was a school night. And she got, she's like, you have, we, she rented it. She said, you guys got to sit down and watch this. I've been waiting. It's one of my favorites. I think you'll really love it. 
I'm not going to tell you anything. You have to wait. If you're ans- if you're asking questions during the movie, I'm not going to answer them. You just have to wait and try to figure out on your own and enjoy the ending because you won't be disappointed. And boy, I was not. Like I have mentioned in other episodes of this podcast, I love mysteries. There's something about the unknown that grabs our attention. True crime is a great example. It's quite astounding to me just how popular that subject really is if you think about it. You would think that subjects involving true crime would turn most people off, but not really. True crime podcasts are very popular. Might be the most popular podcast out there right now. People love discussing disturbing cases. Diving into the psyche of these people that do horrific things is entertaining. Isn't that something when you think about that? Just for a second. We can't help turning our faces away from disturbing images. For instance, if there's a, uh, a really bad accident on the road and you're going by, what do you do? You don't look away. You don't just mind your own business. You can't help yourself. You have to look over there. Or just something as simple as somebody getting pulled over by a policeman for doing something, whether it's speeding or whatever. We can't help ourselves. We got to look. We got to be nosy and interested. Oh, yeah, I wonder. Oh, yeah. Oh, that guy got a ticket. <laughs> it's not me. Or you, know, you just got to be like, <laughs> I wonder what he did. Or if someone had an accident, just something minor. We can't help ourselves. We got to know about it. We got to look. It's natural curiosity. We just can't help to be drawn into the macabre. It is our curiosity that makes us go there. It's a good example of a subject that makes us feel something. And if you are a person that enjoys a little fear in your life, the excitement of fear, then this stuff is for you. We will discuss Psycho and all its background information along with the film itself later. First, I would like to touch on the man that redefined thrill behind the camera both on film and television. And his name was Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred was born on August 13, 1899, on the floor above his father's shop in London, England. His father's name was William, and he was a green grocer selling everything from cabbages to turnips. Hitchcock is reported as saying that he recalls the invention of the electric tram in 1906 quite vividly. His dad was a successful shop owner, and Alfred remembers seeing him dress nicely with dark suit and a dark tie. Now, people would go on to say that Alfred resembled his father very much. His dad was a nervous man and suffered from conditions that caused skin lesions. Now, that is having it pretty bad, I'd have to say. Being so, you know, I I got nerves. That's common in my family. We're just nervous people. But it's not that bad where I actually break out and things like that. Uh, When I get upset, I find it hard to eat. Or, you know, I get a stomach thing and, uh, you know, I can't sleep. But to actually have something like skin lesions appear because you're nervous, that's really being a nervous person. His mother's name was Emma, and she was a dignified woman, always well-dressed. She enjoyed taking care of the family and her home. She relished in cleaning and polishing all nuances in the house. Now, that's my kind of woman. She also enjoyed cooking to her family, which is also a wonderful thing. (laughs) Now, here is an interesting little tidbit right here. 
And I would be absolutely stunned if this is true. Now listen to this. I guess Alfred never cried as a baby. Are you kidding? That's got to be impossible. Never cried as a baby. All right. This is talked about in a book titled, quote, A Brief Life, Alfred Hitchcock by Peter Aykroyd. Now, I just found that nearly impossible to believe. In the book, the author explains that his mother and others that would visit would try to get him to cry by scaring him. And then nothing. How weird and unusual. Alfred had an older brother named William and an older sister named Ellen. But it seems they had no impression on him whatsoever. The family were devout Catholics. And it was a ritual for the kids to announce the highlights of their day at the foot of their parents' bed. It is said that it was a form of family confession. So I guess after school or just within days wrapping up, the kids one by one would have to go in alone and stand at the foot of the bed, of the parents' bed, and talk about their day, their good things, their bad things, uh, almost sort of like a daily confession. If you're Catholic and you have to go into that little booth area and profess your sins, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been, oh, for me, oh, I don't know, 15 years since my last confession. Shame on me. I probably would walk into a Catholic church right now and, like, burst into flames. But anyways, that was sort of a thing that went on in um, Hitchcock's house. His family uh, thought it would be a good idea, maybe a good way for his parents to sort of keep in touch with what their kids were doing throughout the day or in their lives. Okay, the, uh, the father, whose name was William, moved the family to a city called Limehouse when Alfred was six. It was a rough neighborhood, and although Hitchcock never really talked about this time in his life, you can see it in some of his work, the music halls and its public houses, its picture palaces, and its street markets crawling with animated and quick-witted cockneys that he knew well. His parents gave him the nicknames Alfie and Fred but would ultimately be referred to as Hitch. And here is an interesting story I discovered about a young Alfred. Now, it isn't revealed how old he was at the time, but I assume that he was around 11 or 12. He got into trouble for coming home late one day. Well, his father had an idea for punishment. He had a police officer take little Alfred into the police station and place him in a cell for a few minutes. This experience had an everlasting effect on the rest of his life. Plain to say, it scared the living shit out of him. And it explains his lifelong fear of policemen. It is also explains how he uses vertical bars, parallel bars, and dark slashes of shadow in his work. Um, if you look at the beginning of Psycho during the uh, credits, you will see that it is themed with black bars. So that's a good example. He was afraid of judgment and punishment. And just for a second, I, I can relate to Alfred Hitchcock here. I'm afraid of cops. I respect cops. I could never be a cop. What they have to do in their job. Wow. I mean, I respect them very, very much. But I am afraid of them. Like every day when I drive around going to work or whatnot, I am bound to have two or three cops just pass me by or just be in my general vicinity in cop cars. And I sweat a little bit or I get nervous. My heart rate goes up every time I see a cop. They scare me. Okay, we're going to move on here. Um, 
Hitch had a certain horror of life. In certain respects, he was always a child. His fears and obsessions of his childhood always stuck with him for his entire life. He was an altar boy and he enjoyed the ritual. Alfred attended a boarding school but lasted only one week. He hated the regiment and he missed home. He then went to a local convent school and at the age of 10, he moved to St. Ignatius College in Stamford Hill. This institution taught him about order, control, and precision. He was a good student and did well in math. It is said that Hitchcock was always considered something of an outsider. His Catholic education seemed to give him a sense of guilt. He feared and hated his body. He would use the bathroom, then clean it so immaculately that it seemed like he was never even there. And the discipline at the school was harsh. Here's a quote from Alfred himself about his time in school. Quote, I was terrified of the police, of the priests, of physical punishment, and of a lot of things. This is the root of my work. I spent three years studying with the priests. They used to terrify me to death with everything. And now I'm getting my own back by terrifying other people. End of quote. How about that? They scared me then. I'll scare you now. I'm going to get him back. His nickname by classmates was, I think this is what it is. I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it the right way. Kaki. His uh, nickname was Kaki. And he was not popular. OG, oh, really? He was lonely with few playmates. He was plump, shy, and without physical skills. He was never bullied but just thought of to be odd. This is a telling story of how Alfred felt about kids later on in his life when directing children on the set. He told one child actor that if he didn't stop moving around, he would get a nail and bolt his feet to the mark on the floor. And the blood will come pouring out like milk. Whoa! Now, I don't know how old this kid was, but I had a guess who's pretty young. And he says, if you don't sit still, all right, I'm going to take a nail and I'm going to nail your foot to the ground. <laughs> and, then, and then he adds on, you know, and after I do that, it's going to hurt a lot and blood's going to come pouring out of your foot. Now, Alfred would also go on to say that he was the quiet child in the corner, not talking to anyone when he was a kid, but he was always observing and taking everything in. Hitchcock watched Chaplin pictures when he was 14 and was hooked. He always attended the annual circus and never missed acts at the Stratford Music Hall. He was attracted to the courthouse and learning about the trials of murders. He even visited the Black Museum of Scotland Yard. He was always fascinated by crime. He was obsessed with the murder trial of John Christie in 1953. His interest in crime can be seen in his relation to theater. It was his inspiration. He visited the West End and saw the latest plays. He could sit for hours and discuss theater in great detail. His information about theater was boundless and that it was so in-depth that it was like you were talking with an encyclopedia, some people would say. He left school at the appropriate age of 13 and decided to be an engineer. He then enrolled at the London County Council 
School of Marine Engineering. He got a job in 1914 at W.T. Henley's Telegraph Works Company. He worked as a technical estimator. His dad died of emphysema around this time. The First World War took hold, and Alfred was absolutely terrified at the thought of war. Some of his early films reflect this sort of panic and hysteria. This can be seen in such films as The Birds with the way they would attack. And it was hysteria that hit the Hitchcock household during the war. Alfred would say he came home one day and noticed that there was damage from a battle near his house. He looked for his mother and found her in the bedroom trying to put her clothes on over her robe. And another occurrence was both of them taking shelter underneath the kitchen table with his mother crossing herself, this sign of the cross, over and over again. At the age of 16, Alfred discovered Edgar Allan Poe. He was intrigued with him because he felt sorry for him. He said that in spite of all of his talent, he had always been very unhappy. And he, and this is Hitchcock talking about Edgar. Hitchcock thought, you know, he felt sorry for him because he had all this talent and he had never been happy with it. And I think that's common with very talented, genius people. I think most of the time they're not very happy, but they use all that crap, that stuff that's just ripping them apart. And they put it into art. They put it into words like Poe did. Poe had a big influence on Alfred's life. He identified with Poe about a world of threat and fear. Now, Alfred was called up for service in 1917, but was excused with the Class C3 classification. Now, it's not specified what C3 classification was or what it meant, but you know what? It didn't matter because the war ended soon enough and his services were not required. He then applied for night classes and studied art. Hitchcock has stated that he learned something quite valuable at this time, and that was there was no such thing as a line. There's only light and shade. Light and darkness form a figure. His skills sharpened, and he was quickly promoted in his job. This brought about confidence within himself, and he was breaking out of his shyness. He became more witty, and his sense of humor was shining through. In 1919, he started a company paper that he sold to the staff for three pence. But ultimately... I find that uh, he was just getting bored with this job. Just a regular job. It just, I think he found out in a very short period of time that this kind of work just, it wasn't his bag. Uh, he felt himself wanting to do something else. So he kept his eyes on the film trade papers. There was a studio being built pretty close by that produced films for Paramount. He discovered that the studio had chosen The Sorrows of Satan as its first film. Uh, now, he had read the novel and went right to work on designs and captions for the film. So what he did was he approached the studio with his ideas and was informed that the movie that uh, they were going to do, this uh, Sorrows of Satan movie, was scratched. And that they had decided to do two other films. Well, this didn't deter Hitchcock. He found it even more motivating to go out and do the designs and do the work to go ahead and present them with even two more ideas for the two other pictures that they had picked. 
Now, the managers of the company were so impressed with his speed and talent that he was hired immediately as a part-time consultant and he continued to work at his day job. His hard work and persistence paid off as he was able to work full-time at the studio. He was now in the film business. His former job gave this announcement of his departure. And this is what they did back then. They had like a little quote in a paper, right? To sort of say farewell. So this is what his former company had to say about Alfred Hitchcock as he went on to work at the film studio. Here it is. He has gone into the film business, not as a film actor, but to take charge of the art title department of one of the biggest producing companies. We shall miss him in many ways, but we wish him all the success. And folks, that's the end of the quote. The rest is history. Now, I'm not going to do any other films of Hitchcock's. I'm going to do just one. Psycho. This Halloween edition will be a little different. I touch on Hitch a little bit by his early life, which is good. I like to go ahead and do that with anybody I highlight. I'm going to talk about the early life. And if you don't like it, I apologize. But I'm going to do it. I find that uh, learning about their early life, their parents, their siblings, and how they influenced them and where they went to school, that stuff, I love it. So we did that, and now we're going to move on to Psycho. And the circumstances that influenced this historical film. And in doing so, you have to go back to a place called Plainfield, Wisconsin in 1957. And reference the horrific events that took place at the hands of a little man called Ed Gein. His story is shocking to say the least. And if you have never heard of this guy, I just advise you to go ahead and brace yourself right now. And a word of warning as well. I will be discussing some disturbing things. So beware. Uh, a plainful woman named Bernice Warden disappeared in 1957 in Wisconsin. Gein was suspected. And they, the police, all right, they searched his farm. Nothing could prepare the police and citizens of Plainfield for what they were about to find. It was a ghoulish sight. Not only did they find the body of Bernice Warden, but they also found these following things. Here we go. Get ready. Whole human bones. Okay. Now this is where it gets bad. They found waste baskets made of human skin. Human skin covering chair seats. Skulls on bedposts. Bowls made of human skulls. Leggings made from human skin, human masks, and Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag. Now, everyone, that is just some of the things they found in his house. Some. I couldn't bring myself to say some of the other things that were found there. Because not only is it ghoulish and sick, it's perverted. So, if you are interested to find out what else was in that house, I would suggest you go and search Ed Gein and his case and his story and everything like that. It's not hard to find, and you can go ahead and root around and see what else was found in there. Now, Gein was not classified as a serial killer. 
Uh, he admitted to killing two women, but most of the trophies, uh, or whatever you want to call them, at his home, were made from the bodies he had dug up in a local cemetery. Uh, he was actually a grave robber. He was a grave robber, robber first. But his story is so interesting. Uh, and it's his, it's his history and childhood and all that stuff that really do tell the story and what really influenced films like Psycho, and not only Psycho, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Silence of the Lambs. Those movies were based on Ed Gein. Gein's mother was a domineering woman. She was one of those God-fearing women that professed her disdain for all that were not as holy as her. So, she just thought she was the most holy person ever. And everybody else was just a piece of shit. Uh, Gein's father was an alcoholic. No way. Living with that woman? I think you would have to be. And uh, he was controlled by the mother. Okay? Uh, let's just put it this way. The mother kept the dad's balls in a jar under the sink. Now, not literally, but you know what I'm talking about. Mom had all the power in the household. And dad drank himself into an early grave. So it was the mother, Gein's older brother. He had an older brother, and his name was Henry and Ed. Mother kept her two sons away from the world as best as she could. There was evil outside the house, and she did all she could to teach her sons about the Bible and to do God's work. Henry, the brother, saw right through his mother, but Ed did not. She was like a god to him. Ed grew up in total isolation. His mother was his world. And when she eventually died, he was absolutely crushed and did all he could to keep her memory alive. And that is why he would raid the cemeteries. All right? He dug up recently deceased women who were the same body size as his mother and would use the skins of others to put it on himself and emulate her. Okay. Now, wow, just realizing that for a second, mm, he would go out first. I mean, this guy must have been all over the paper, or I guess it was a pretty small town. So if someone, some older woman passed away sort of heavy or just a bit, I guess his mom was kind of a big woman. Uh, so if a larger sort of woman died recently, he would dig her up. And, uh, you know, use her skin and make it in a way where he could put it on himself and act like he was his mother. This is one sick son of a bitch. Wow. Okay. And this was used in the psycho film with Norman Bates wearing a wig and a dress to become his mother. The two women that Gein killed reminded him of his mother. It was a love-hate relationship. Okay, now when Gein was questioned at the police station, he had said that he had made as many as 40 night visits to the cemetery in a days-like state. He stole from graves and he led them to the locations. The police found it hard to believe that he could do this. And they went to exhume a few of the bodies. They found the caskets to be empty, except for Gein's crowbar. He was telling the truth. Gein created women's suits so that he could be, literally, his mother. To crawl into her skin. Scary stuff, folks. It's just really, really messed up stuff. I mean, how messed up do you have to be 
to want to do that. The pure reality of these crimes had a dramatic impact on the head investigator of this case, and his name was Art Schley. And it is reported that he got so upset with Gein at the questioning and the confession part that he took Gein's head and banged it into a brick wall. I would probably do the same thing. I don't really feel too bad for Gein at this point. Schley's heart failed him at the age of 43 before Gein even went to trial. Now, friends would go on to say that this Art Schley guy was so traumatized by this thing, by the whole thing, the horror of everything, that it literally killed him. The Gein story inspired the book written by Robert Block called Psycho. The book is more violent than the movie, they say. Now, I've never read the book. Um, I should read it. I don't know. I'm not a big reader, all right? And there are only certain books I will read. But I am fascinated to read this one. I hear it's pretty damn weird. Of course it is. I mean, look what it it did. But anyways, uh, the character of Norman Bates is different as well, all right? The book has the Norman character, uh, older, uh, balding, and very unattractive. Basically, he's a very unsympathetic character. And this was a challenge for screenwriter Joseph Stefano. Hitchcock agreed with Stefano that Norman Bates should be sympathetic, younger, and good-looking. Stefano had been a fan of Tony Perkins and believed that he would be perfect for the role. Now, Perkins was available, just coming off of some recent stage work, and was interested to play the role. Stefano did a fantastic job in writing this movie, with help from Alfred, Although Stefano claims that Hitchcock let him freely come up with most of this stuff from the film, um, I really do believe that uh, Hitchcock had a lot to do with the the screenplay. I just do. Um, But Stefano tells a nice story how his faith was gained from Hitchcock. Uh, Stefano rewrote a scene from the film and gave it to Alfred for approval. He said, uh, I guess Alfred was going on some sort of trip that weekend, and Stefano finished up the scene and said, uh, you know, go ahead, take a look at it over the weekend, and let me know what you think. So I guess uh, Hitchcock uh, came back from his little trip on Monday, called up Stefano and just praised him. Said, it was wonderful, wonderful. My wife loved it. And Stefano's like, really flattered that Hitchcock gave it to his wife to read. And she adored it, and that was a great sign. Because I'll tell you what, his wife, and her name... Her name was Alma, okay? And um, if she didn't like your work, you were out of luck. Because if she didn't like it, Alfred didn't do it. And I think that is so fucking cool. I mean, that goes to show you right there how close those two were. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock and his wife, Alma, they must have been pretty tight. Uh, Everything went through her and vice versa with probably... Anything and everything they did together, they did it together. And he respected her very much and her opinion about work. So if uh, there was a project that he was considering doing and maybe he was on the fence about, he would probably go to her and say, listen, what should I do? You know, take a look at this script. Uh, This is what's going on with this and that. Uh, What do you think? And she probably gave it a lot of thought, a lot of time and came back and gave him a truthful answer. And she trusted uh, his advice, and he trusted her advice. And uh, now that's um, that's a union, okay? When they say uh, a marriage is like a union, that's a good example of a union. A, a really nice story. 
Okay, now the uh, the writer Stefano and Alfred Hitchcock made Norman Bates's character make you. They made you feel sorry for him, didn't they? In a way, I kind of did. Um, and that's a monumental feat that they pulled off just there. Okay, it, it just it just is. And I'll kind of get into that a little bit in a second. Well, you know what? I'm going to get into it now. The part in the movie that I think that it really hit home for me that I was actually, I don't want to say rooting for Norman Bates, but I was, you know, kind of felt sorry for him. Okay, I guess I was rooting for him, I guess. Because when he pushed the car into the lake, when he got finished, you know, taking care of cleaning up the room and everything, and he's pushing the car into the lake, and the, the car is sinking, and then it stops, and you're like, and he's got that look in his face like, oh, shit, <laughs> what am I, I going to do if that car doesn't keep sinking? And it stops sinking. Like, you can only see the top half of the hood or the top of the car, you know? And then he, he's kind of looking around like, oh, man. And then it starts sinking again. And it completely goes under. You're like, whoo, I shouldn't think that. I should be like, oh, good. I hope the car doesn't go all the way down. But for some reason, you're like, go down, go down. <laughs> okay, um, Janet Lee was a nice casting choice for Marion. Uh, Lee enjoyed making the film and was so excited to work with Hitchcock. She also explained that acting alongside Anthony Perkins was inspirational because of the performance he gave. She called him a master. And I believe that his acting in Psycho is not only the greatest in his career, but among the greatest in cinema history. And I really do believe that. When I watched it again this past week, I was just amazed by how fantastic he was in that movie. And even this past weekend, I saw my brother and we talked about it for a minute. And I said, man, I saw that again the other day. And I got to tell you, I mean, I always knew it was a good performance or a great performance, but I would consider it one of the best of all time. It's that good. And the fact that he didn't get nominated for an Oscar, not even nominated, not even nominated, is a disgrace. Shame on the Academy for not nominating him for that film. I got to look. I don't know off the top of my head right now, but I may go back in my next episode just to touch upon this again, because I am dying to know who was nominated that year for Best Actor. I really am. All right, because I say that with passion because... Anthony Perkins became Norman Bates through and through. And screenwriter Joseph Stefano would go on to say that Perkins perfected the role because he identified with the horrible reality of feeling trapped. He just got it. And here it is. The best scene in the film. Well, in my opinion, the best scene in the film. And I say that because Perkins gives us precise and reactionary acting that is nothing short of brilliant. You understand, I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in some place. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. <laughs> what do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? A 
laughing and the tears and the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself. But I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a... A maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Sure, Tony, we all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> but I love how um, in the scene, as an actor, he recovered into lightness after his disgust of her. And he really was disgusted by her. Truly offended by her comment and then recoiled and was able to portray himself as normal. He plays a true psychopath and that is truly what he is and did it quite well. And I have to watch more of Tony Perkins' films. Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Patricia, was in the film. She played the other worker in the office building, and she did a nice job. I like that character. Uh, I guess Patricia uh, had always wanted to be an actress. Uh, her father felt that she was uh, only going to get a role if he truly felt that she'd be right for the, for the film and the role, which I find pretty interesting. Basically, you know, I love you, babe, <laughs> daughter, uh, but if you're not right for the role, there's no way you're going to get it. Uh, just because you're my daughter, I'm not going to give you any special treatment, but come on now. Would she even be considered if she wasn't Hitchcock's daughter? Probably not. I mean, <laughs> it must be nice having uh, Alfred Hitchcock as your dad. and Every so often, he'd let you be in a movie. But you know what? She, did, she actually did a nice job. I like her in the movie. And she went on to do a few other films and a few other jobs. Not a big actress, but she got her feet wet in the business and I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Now, the magic of this film existed on the true notion that there was mystery from the very beginning. Alfred didn't want anything to leak out into the press or film industry about the ending. He even went as far as to suggest that they were looking for an actress to play the mother. And that was a brilliant move. So when you think about it, all right, he didn't want anything to leak out. Nothing. So he wanted everything airtight. And then he goes ahead, goes one step further, and goes, you know what would be a good idea? To leak information, or just go straight out and say it. We're going to do some casting for the mother role. So he was out there, and there were agents that were calling him up saying, oh, there would be an actress that I have that would be perfect for that role, blah, 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 and he was eating it up. I'll give you a few calls uh, in a week or two and let you know if I'm interested in that actress. But he wasn't, because 
there was, the mother was fake. It was there was no mother. That's what was so brilliant about it. Nobody knew what the hell was going to happen in the movie or what was going on, and that's what Alfred Hitchcock wanted, and it worked out perfect. Here are a couple little tidbits. Uh, Marion has white undergarments on in the beginning of the film, and then you can see she has black undergarments after she decides to steal the money. I love that little stuff. This was the very first film that showed a toilet in a scene. Isn't that weird? No other movie had by chance a toilet. I mean, really, that's that just doesn't make any sense. That you know how many movies have been out even before Psycho, and no other movie had a toilet shown in it. Ugh. I kind of find that hard to believe. I may want to try to prove that wrong. I'm I'm not saying I'm gonna go out and watch every single movie that was done before what this movie came out, <laughs> but it would be quite interesting to prove them wrong on that. I just find that really hard to believe, but they say it's true that no other toilet was ever shown in a film, okay? So, the writer felt it would be a nice touch and very unsettling to show Marion flushing the torn paper down the toilet. And it worked. The shower scene. In the book, the author had the victim's head being cut off. Wow. Of course, they're not going to show that in the movie. So... For the film, they did it a little differently, and rightfully so. They storyboarded the shit out of this scene. And the, the, the storyboarding was in the hands of a man called Saul Bass. And he did a brilliant job of placing a step-by-step illustration in front of Hitchcock to direct. But for some reason, Bass has claimed that he directed this scene. Not true. Hitch directed every scene in the movie. It took seven days to shoot the the, uh, shower scene. And uh, the set they used was very small. 12 by 12, it is said. Hitchcock brought... He brought in a nude model to perform in the scene when the character lay down in the tub. Now, he felt that it would be easier to direct someone who was used to being nude. uh, You know, around hundreds of people. He just thought it would be a better idea to have someone who was a little more comfortable being naked... In front of hundreds of people. Janet Lee might have felt a little uncomfortable. Doing it. So he sort of cut that out. And said ah. Janet you don't have to be naked laying on the bottom of the tub. So I'm sure she was relieved about that. (laughs) I know I would be. The scene itself was so bang bang. With every shot coming real quick at you. Lightning fast speed. It was done very quickly. And it also feels like through the experience. That you're kind of going along with Marion. Through the experience. the, The flashing of the. Of the scenes and the, the, the changing of colors and the changing of lighting. You could see it. It's very quick. It's very precise. And it's like thrusts of a knife. I think that Hitchcock really nailed that whole aspect of it. Where it's going so fast. It feels like you can actually sense Marion getting cut. Being stabbed with every thrust of the knife. Well done by Hitchcock. And Hitchcock used chocolate syrup for the blood. Hey, it's black and white, and I guess the consistency is what he was looking for, and not the color, of course. So who the hell's going to know? Brilliant. The sound of the knife hitting Marion was the sound of a knife hitting a melon. I love the scene where Norman pushes the car in the lake, and I referenced this before, because I felt sympathy for him, and that's my favorite scene. The look on Norman's face was great. Alright. The stuttering of Anthony Perkins and his portrayal of Norman Bates was so natural. You know, 
you know he's doing a great job when that stuttering is just done right. I think the creepiest part of the film is when the private detective gets stabbed by the mother. Okay, he's, he's going up the stairs. Like, he got in the house, and he's walking up the stairs, you know? And he gets to the very top, and you get that overhead shot. And she comes running out of her room, or he does. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen the movie. But if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you anyway. You know, no spoilers. Bullshit. There's spoilers. Okay, overhead shot. Hitchcock does, right? And you only see the tops of their heads, pretty much. And you see his little hat, and then he, she, he, she, comes running out of her room, and the, the music really creeps, like, and he starts stabbing him, and then there's that epic shot of him falling down the stairs. He's not really falling down the stairs. He's, like, walking backwards down the stairs. <laughs> okay, um, Hitchcock was so pleased by the music score done by Bernard Herman that he doubled his salary. Hitch felt... That without the music, the film wouldn't have been as good. Okay. Alright. Okay. Hitch, I understand the music was great. And it was. I mean, it was perfect. You're right. The film wouldn't have been as good. Right? No. I disagree. <laughs> Sorry. It wouldn't have been. It would have been good. The, the music made it better. I think that sounds good. The music made it even better. I guess Walt Disney detested the movie Psycho and never let Hitchcock use his studio. Oh, boo-hoo. The Bates house overlooking the motel is on display today, even today, at Universal Studios. And I remember seeing it as a teenager back in 1993, and it was so surreal. I remember seeing that house, and, it's, and it still looks like it's like on top of the hill. And it's like historic, seeing that little house up there. And it wasn't a little house. It looked like a beautiful old house. It's still there for anybody to see, even today. It is really hard to rank films. I find it easier to rank actors and performers. I don't know why. I just do. I've through, Throughout my days, I have constructed um, like my top 100 actors. Long ago, I used to do it every year. Um, and it would change from time to time with up and coming actors, or if I felt an actor I overrated a bit, I'd drop them and so on. I know it's kind of weird, but I had my little 100 thing I do. And I tried doing it with movies, and I just had a hard time. I couldn't quite, I don't know, just finding a number one was hard enough. I mean, Godfather, I really love. I, I think that's my number one. But after that, I really struggled trying to rank movies. So I just kind of stopped after I got to five. So it's hard to rank movies. And with horror movies, I'd like to say this is number one. But I don't know. I mean, there's other horror movies I like to watch that have scared me. Uh, there are some movies out there that have scared me so much I will never watch them again. Like, there was this one documentary I saw that was about that sleep paralysis. That scared the shit out of me. I will admit it. I will never watch that again. And I found it hard to sleep for about two, three weeks. I was so scared that I was going to be in sleep paralysis. I was so convinced it was going to happen to me because I had knowledge of it. And I thought to myself, oh my God, in documentary, they said, if you have knowledge of this, it might happen to you now. And I'm like, no, I should have never put that movie on. Damn it. But it, it, it didn't. And that was like three years ago. So I think I'm in the good. I think I'm good. But if any of you out there suffer from sleep paralysis, I feel sorry for you. Oh my God, that must be horrible in some way. Like, I'm sure the documentary was about the extreme cases, 
But if you experience any sleep paralysis, I'm sorry. I really, my heart goes out to you. That would scare the shit out of me, <laughs> man. Uh, so, like I said, hard to rank horror movies. But I enjoy a lot of them. I kind of like being scared a little bit. And, wow, really weird. I just got deja vu just then. Like, really, really bad. Have you ever ex- experienced that deja vu? I used to get it a lot when I was younger, and I don't get it that much anymore. But once in a while, I do. And when I do, I like to point it out. And just now, I got deja vu. Like, all right, I understand I'm in the 15th episode, and maybe I'm in the same spot. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's all in my head. But I got, wow, that was weird. I just thought I'd point that out. I do that. I will point it out. If something pops in, it'll come out. It's going to come out of my mouth. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway. This was a fun episode just to kind of do something different. Uh, talking about Hitchcock and Psycho. Uh, I enjoy Hitchcock films. And Psycho was one of my favorite horror films of all time. So it was a really good time talking about Psycho. I hope you're enjoying the show. on uh, The episodes of The Actors Room. I'm going to continue doing them for a few more months and see where it goes. Um, I do have a, a decent amount of people following me right now. But not that many. I'm hoping that it's going to start growing. I've just started promoting a little more hardcore this past week on Twitter. I'm finally figuring out Twitter. It's hard. And it seems so oversaturated with tweets and hashtags and things that it would have to be like a full-time job. I would have to hire somebody to continually tweet out my shit in order to get followers, I think. But um, my Twitter account now has about 600 followers. And uh, I'm hoping to get a six, 600 more by the end of the month. If I can, God, I hope I can. And see if this thing grows and goes somewhere. Because I enjoy doing it. And But if I don't get enough people listening, you know, it, it's, I don't see a point in going forward. I might anyways, just because it's fun. But, you know, I'm paying like 20, 25 bucks a month for a hosting site. And if nobody's listening... It's not, there's no point to continue further. So very important to go on iTunes, uh, leave comments and reviews. I've said in the past and nobody has never really done that. Uh, it helps to do that, uh, leave reviews and it helps my show. Um, and I really need that to kind of give me confidence to go forward in the show. You're going to, I need that. Uh, so please do that. Once again, thank you for listening to the actor's room. This episode titled Hitchcock slash Psycho. All done. Uh, Go ahead and put in that movie tonight. I haven't said that phrase in like three episodes, I think. It's long overdue. It was kind of my saying there for a while. I got away from it. I should get back to it. Put in a movie tonight. I don't know what I'm going to put in tonight. We just uh, watched the very first episode of This Is Us, the show that's on, I think it's NBC, where we're watching it through Hulu. And my my family was raving about it, especially my brother. He's like, you got to watch that show. I'm like, all right, I will. I'm like, Amy, put on This Is Us. My brother's been bragging about it. I want to see what this thing's all about. So we put that in last night. We watched it. And oh my God. Okay, the, I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, good show. It's a, it's a good show. In the last two minutes, okay, are just tremendous. I, it touched me. I first got goosebumps. Okay. And then after I got goosebumps, I cried. I did. And even my wife cried. 
And she finds it hard to cry at movies and shows, anything that kind of grabs you in that way. I cry easier than she does. And uh, I'm crying. I look over and she's crying. It was that touching. And so we watched the next episode before we went to bed last night. So I'm kind of looking for, I think I'll put uh, that in tonight and watch a couple more episodes, at least a few more of This Is Us. So if you're looking for a show to watch, I recommend This Is Us. Uh, it's on NBC and we watched it through Hulu. So there's a recommendation. So go ahead, check that out. And thank you once again for listening to The Actors Room. God bless you. Have a good one.